God, we pray that you keep showing us that resurrection is right here and now in the life we live every day and give us the eyes to see it. Amen. Today's the last Sunday in the season of Easter. Seven weeks we focused on the resurrection. I think that we need at least these seven weeks to be reminded of resurrection because we need to always be reminded that God is always creating. God is always bringing about new life. Resurrection reminds us that God is never finished, no matter how things might seem. And we need to keep being reminded of resurrection, for one, so that we won't forget, but also that we might learn to lean in more in trusting God's presence. For this last Sunday of Easter, we read this morning from the Lord's Prayer. Not that Lord's Prayer, not the one that we say together every morning during our prayer time. No, this is the prayer of the Lord that we find in John's Gospel toward the end. It's after Jesus celebrates the Last Supper with his disciples. It's after Jesus has washed the disciples' feet. It's after he has foretold that someone around that table is going to betray him. It's after he's told Peter that Peter's going to deny him three times. It's also the prayer that happens shortly after Jesus says that soon he'll be leaving them, but he's going to give them the gift of the Holy Spirit to guide them through life. This, this other Lord's Prayer, is the very last thing Jesus will do with his disciples before he's arrested. This morning we just read part of that prayer. The prayer begins as Jesus prays to God that God would be with him as he goes through what he's fixing to go through. And then Jesus prays for those disciples who are around the table with him that God would be with them. And then we get to our reading today where Jesus prays for those who will believe, which of course includes us. Before we look at that prayer itself, I'd like to point out a couple things. For one thing, the last thing that Jesus does with his disciples, it isn't some cool teaching, some spellbinding teaching. It's not even some huge miracle that they would take away and remember. No, he prays for them. Jesus lifts up to God these people and those who would follow that God would be with them. And also notice what Jesus prays for. He doesn't pray for good health. Jesus doesn't pray for wealth or social status. Jesus certainly doesn't pray that his followers would be whisked off away from the world. No, what Jesus prays for is that they will all be one. Jesus prays for a oneness that is like the oneness that Jesus has with his Father. Jesus says this, As you, Father, are in me, and I am in you. That is how Jesus prays for those who will follow. Of all the things he prays for, Jesus prays that his followers would be one. And he didn't pray for this oneness just for the sake of the people who are one. He prays for oneness so that the world may believe 
that you have sent me. In other words, Jesus prays for the believers to be one because when they practice their oneness, they're showing the world who Jesus is. What does that oneness look like? That oneness isn't being one in the sense of being the same. It's not even one in the sense of agreeing about everything. No, it's a oneness of purpose. The purpose being to show that God loves all the world. And the way that this oneness of purpose takes place is the way that we who follow Jesus, well, we love all the world too. Of course, we who follow Jesus have failed miserably at doing this ever since Jesus prayed that prayer. Even in the New Testament, it talks about different churches, especially the church of Corinth, where the, the people who are rich are taking advantage of those that are poor, and then some are claiming that they're a whole lot more knowledgeable about God than others and putting themselves on, on higher pedestals. It continues even later. Really ever since the Roman Emperor Constantine made Christianity the official religion of the Roman Empire early in the 4th century, ever since then the church has been in a constant quest to have power. Especially power over those who are not of the church. The church has a long history of persecution, whether it be against people of other faith groups like Jews or Muslims or even against those who are within the church but are labeled heretics. It was the church that helped lead the takeover of lands from Native Americans. It was ministers of the church in the South who were among the fiercest, to fiercest defenders of slavery before and during the Civil War, and then after the Civil War, argued that God had given a superiority to white people over people of color. All of this has happened ever since Jesus prayed that we be one. Of course, even within churches, there's anything but oneness. A lot of times it's centered around the question of how do we interpret Scripture? The role of women in the church, the role of LGBTQ people in the life of the church. That's one example of how the church is divided. Of course, our own Tradition and the uh, Campbell Stone tradition, we're not innocent either. When this church was founded in the early 1800s, one of the main things that we, we sought is that unity would be our polar star. But since then, we have divided into three different churches. And of course, let's not forget individual churches where there are times when the word love doesn't at all describe what life is like in that church. And yet, despite all of this, Jesus prays that we be one. Maybe Jesus prayed for us to be one because He knew how hard it was going to be for us to actually do it. That He would need to pray that the followers would practice love so that the world would know what God's love is all about. And yet, as I've only reflected in a few examples, we have, we have fallen woefully short. But rather than leave it at that, reminding ourselves of what we already know, that we aren't one, 
Rather than stop there, I'd like to go back to the very start of what I said this morning. That today's the seventh Sunday in the season of Easter. The seventh week of being reminded of resurrection. The seventh week of being reminded that God has never finished creating. And that means that God is not finished with us. Even though we are not one, God is still calling us. Jesus is still praying for us because of resurrection. And sometimes we can see glimpses of it, of our being one. Such as when we gather around the Lord's table each Sunday. You know, when Jesus prayed this prayer that we read today, this other Lord's prayer... He might still have been sitting around the same table that he had been sitting with the disciples when he took the bread and then took the the wine and said, do this in remembrance of me. They may have still been around that same table. So when Jesus prayed for oneness, he prayed it for those who were sitting around the table that day. But he also prayed it for all of us. That all of us, one day, we would all be gathered around the one table of God's love. And we can see glimpses of that, of that oneness in God's love, when we gather around the table, all because of resurrection. And then if we look with eyes to see, we can also see resurrection at work, making us one. I see it when people reach out to other people, especially those who are feeling all alone in life. I see it when people with very different views on things can still get together around this table. People brought together out of a common desire to love God and to love others. Next week when we gather, it'll be Pentecost Sunday. That day when the Spirit of God did all these wild things it unleashed God's Spirit upon the world. It's a Spirit that's still among us. It's a Spirit made real in the resurrection. It's a Spirit that's still calling us to be one. And God isn't finished with us yet. We know that because of resurrection. Thanks be to the God of resurrection, the God of new life. We give thanks to God for God's grace and love. Amen.